You are about to listen to a sermon from Common Ground Church in Rapid City, South Dakota. We hope to see you in person. For more information, visit commongroundcma.org. So it's uh, just a couple days before Christmas. That means we're uh, at the end of our Advent series, um, looking at a weary world. Um, before we get started here, I want to just uh, test your Christmas movie knowledge a little bit because there was actually a couple references made, so let me see if I can find that again on my phone that shut down on me where I had this whole list of really great questions. Where they, there they are, okay, I'm not going to ask all of them because there's a bunch and we don't have time for, for them, but um, who can tell me... You have to raise your hand, don't just shout it out. What is the name of the movie that was mentioned, or I'm sorry, the name of the movie um, that was mentioned by the FBI in 1947 due to this movie's negative approach about bankers? So, it's a wonderful life. It's a wonderful life. Okay, there you go, very good, see? All righty. Um, yeah, the movie Home Alone 2, the second Home Alone, how much does Kevin pay for his uh, stay in a hotel's room? For, it's for, for the hotel's room, what was the total bill? I, I, this is a hard one. I don't, you're going to take a stab there? Is it $967? <laughs> Where'd you get that? That's absolutely correct. <laughs> That's amazing. <laughs> wow. <laughs> All right, here we go. Uh, which movie took place inside a snowflake? Allison. Yeah, the guy the Grinch stole Christmas. All right, woo. All right, my son-in-law and daughter is kicking everybody else's rear end here. <laughs> Apparently, we watch too many Christmas movies. Uh, all right, let me let me try one more. Uh, well, those are all easy. Okay, who can tell me what was the name of the department store in Miracle on a 34th Street? Oh, okay, Judy. Okay, no, it wasn't Macy's. Oh, I, but that was the first one I thought, too. Kohl's. Kohl's. Yeah, it's correct, it's Kohl's. Not K-O-H-L, Kohl's, like, well, market, but, or Kohl's up in, but Kohl's, C-O-L-E-S. Good job. Yeah, that's amazing. So... I totally expected Judy to get that one. So, but I thought the same thing. Thought it was Macy's. Okay, so one more one more trivia question. How many ghosts visited Ebenezer Scrooge? Yes, ma'am. Three. Okay. Actually, it's more than three. Will's holding up his hand, saying four. Okay, Ezra. Only one. Three spirits, one ghost. All right, all right. So how many, how many, how many spiritual creatures visited Ebenezer Scrooge? Okay, so uh, I'm going to say five. 
Okay, I'm going to say five. Here's why. You got the ghosts of Christmas past, present, future. There's three. Jacob Marley, not Bob Marley. Jacob Marley <laughs> is four. And the fact that 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 the that, uh, Scrooge's life was transformed tells me the Holy Spirit. <laughs> because you cannot have true transformation apart from the work of the Holy Spirit. That's, that is theologically correct. So I'm just going to imply that that happened in there. And there, there was an appeal to the spirit of Christmas that was at work there. But I think that's an important thing to kind of help us to remember that apart from the Holy Spirit, there is no such thing as transformation uh, true transformation that happens in this world. And I think that's important for us to know today because we've been looking at f- the four aspects of Advent, or three of the four so far, and we're on the fourth one now, and the opposite of the fourth one is hatred. And I would say that this world, and I think you would agree with me, that this world is weary with hatred. Okay? It's just, we just see it more and more. There's a polarization happening in our, in a, not just in our country, but it's been happening in our world for a, a long time. And, and if you think about it, that's really our default setting as broken sinners. We hate naturally. We despise naturally. We condemn naturally. We make judgments against others uh, naturally. And I would think if any place there was a, a need for transformation, a need for lasting change, it would be that part of the, the, the human story. So you all know who Fred Rogers is, right? Okay, The wonderful Mr. Rogers who invites us to come into his neighborhood and and uh, be his friend and that sort of thing. Uh, He said this, I believe that appreciation is a holy thing. That when we look for what is best in a person, we happen to be with at the moment... Okay, let let me say that again. When we look for what's best in a person, we happen to be with at the moment, we are doing what God does all the time. So in loving and appreciating our neighbor, we're participating in something sacred. And I was really glad to read that because it made me think. And, And that linkage that he makes between love and appreciation I think is very important because I'm trying to figure out, well, how does one love without really appreciating uh, another person, and then the more I thought about that, the more I the more I thought about, well, do I really appreciate other people? Do I appreciate my neighbors um, as I should, or do I do something else? Because the word appreciate means to find value. Appreciating means to find value. It's the opposite of despising. Because when we despise somebody, what, what we're doing is we're stealing that value away from them. Okay? And then, and then think about this God who is, we're told in 1 John chapter 4 is love. And this love clothed himself in human flesh and came to this world as an infant to be our Savior. And that was the the compelling motivation of everything that that Jesus did was love. I mean, just think about that for a minute. Just think about how you read the Gospels, that what you're seeing in those stories is the embodiment and, and 
the demonstration of love. And now I want you to think about this for a moment. What if everybody truly loved? What if if that was our default? What if that was the, the embodiment of who we are in the demonstration of our behavior at all times? What kind of world would this be? We already know what kind of world it is because of hate. But what if, what if we truly, truly loved? And that's hard. Because I'm a broken sinner, redeemed by the grace of Christ, surrounded by other broken sinners, redeemed by the grace of Christ, who deal with many other broken sinners who've yet been redeemed by the grace of Christ. Everybody that we deal with in some way or another is is broken. And like I said, at our default setting, it's, it's real easy to just look at them and say, well, you know, this is what's wrong with you. And because that's wrong with you, this is, this is why I feel I have a right to devalue you rather than appreciate you and love you. I think we use the term toxic way too much in our culture. And it's become an excuse for us to break off relationships. Oh, you're toxic to me. I, I just I just read a thing this morning, of, uh, uh, and it was uh, it was talking about Peter and Judas, and it said Peter had a bad day, Judas had a bad heart, <laughs> and and Peter could be restored, but Judas could only be released. So release the toxic people in your life. That was that was the conclusion of that. And you want to know what the main problem is with that? Is because what we're doing there is is we are uh, appreciating or deappreciating a person by our own judgment. And you know what? We can't do that. I'm sorry. But you and I do not have the qualifications to determine somebody is toxic. We only knew, know of Judas's toxicity because we look back at the whole story. But if we were to walk with Judas at the same time that Jesus was walking with Judas, we wouldn't have known his whole story. And because of that, we could not judge, nor could we condemn. What we're supposed to do is love instead. And that's, that's where it gets hard. <laughs> Because we, we, we want to believe we know the whole story about people, but, but we don't. We do not. In fact, I'm just going to go back to Peter. We didn't know his whole story either. And if we would have seen Peter do to Jesus what he did, we probably would have been even just as angry at him as, as we would have been at Judas. We would have been just as willing to call him toxic and, and say, I'm just going to release you. I don't need any of that in my life. Now, I'm not saying we shouldn't have boundaries. I mean, there are people that will really wreck us. But we don't have the right to judge them. We don't have the right to condemn them. We don't have the right to categorize them. We don't have the right to depreciate them and despise them. We don't have the right to put them in a place where they are of no worth whatsoever. Because, see, here's what happened. When, when, when God created us, he created us in his image, 
Okay? When the fall happened, it did not completely undo people being in the image of God. It marred and it ruined us in our capability to reflect God. But it, it did not change humanity's essence. Yes, we became depraved. Yes, we have no ability whatsoever to do anything of eternal good in God's sight apart from Jesus Christ. But we are still the raw material of God's image. And that's how he sees every single human being redeemable. It's what he does all the time. It's just like Fred Rogers says, is when we look for the best at the person that we happen to be with at the moment, we're doing what God does all the time. And God is somehow able to see past all the brokenness, all the sin, all the ruin, all the wreck and misery of who we are and say, I can make something of that. And that's the whole reason He came to this world to be born as an infant. To make something out of what was wrecked. And and now we have the opportunity to, to walk around with things that have been wrecked, people that have been wrecked, and to reflect the image of Jesus Christ. That's that's what he did by coming to this world and redeeming us and making us that way. So we come to the the last aspect of Advent, and that is love. And that's what we're going to talk about today, just real briefly, real quickly. I'm going to look at a few passages that talk about love. And you're going to say, well, we know all this. All right, well, you know that. And we should, really. We, We should know this. And, and, and we're probably thinking, well, can't we go deeper? Isn't there some isn't there some knowledge that we maybe haven't learned about this? No, I don't think so. I don't think every, I think everything that we need to know about loving has been given to us. There's no new knowledge hidden out there somewhere. There's no treasure buried someplace that you have to dig up. All you have to do is remember what you've already been taught. So we're going to go back to the basics. And before we go back to the basics, uh, I have to tell this story because it's one of my favorite stories involving uh, Dr. James Dobson. Uh, Some of you may not know who he is anymore, okay? But, I mean, there's hope because you knew what department store uh, was in the Miracle on 34th Street. Uh, So Dr. James Dobson, you know, he was a Christian um, counselor, psychologist kind of sort of guy, um, very prominent, strong in the the 80s, 90s, and so on, even earlier than that. Uh, He was speaking in this city. I can't remember which city it was, but he had to go to the city to speak at a conference, and he got really excited when he arrived because he learned that Yo-Yo Ma... Okay, I hope you know who that is, because uh, Yo-Yo Ma is probably the best celloist that ever lived. Now, that could be challenged, I don't know, but at least in my assessment, uh, there's just something amazing. Yo-Yo Ma, I think, was created by God to show us how much of heaven he could fit into a cello. Okay, So Dr. Dobson got really excited because he found out that Yo-Yo Ma was playing in concert the exact same time in the city that he was there to speak. And, and then his excitement just went like that when he found out that Yo-Yo Ma's concert was the exact same time that he had to speak at this conference. 
And, and Dr. Dobson, I would not think that this guy would do this, actually began to mentally think about not showing up for his engagement. Okay, maybe they can find somebody else. I'll just tell them I'm not feeling good or something like that. I, I speak all the time. Can I just miss one? You know, kind of thing, and, and go to this concert. But you know, quickly he realized, well, I can't do that. You know, his integrity was just too staunch for for that. So he decided, no, I'll, I'll carry through and I'll I'll go to work. And then, so he was settling into his motel room, and he was just kind of kicking his feet up, laying there, had a couple pillows behind him. He's just relaxing, and he heard something coming through the wall behind him. The sound of a cello, and he's like, no. Ah, no, I can't be. But maybe, you know, the, the, you know, this is the hotel that this organization put me up in to come and speak. Maybe it's the same hotel. And, and so he, he went downstairs, and he talked to one of the desk clerks, and he says, I know, I know you're not supposed to do this, okay? But is there any chance whatsoever, any chance, that Yo-Yo Ma is staying in this hotel? And the clerk said, why, yes, Dr. Dobson. He happens to be in the room adjoining yours. So James Dobson went back up to his room, (laughs) settled back into his pillows, and he prepared himself for his own personal concert from Yo-Yo Ma. And he thought to himself, isn't God wonderful? Isn't God amazing how he knows the desires of our heart and he does things like that? And for the next two solid hours, I listened to Yo-Yo Ma play the scales. Two hours, this this incredibly talented celloist, to warm up for his concert, played the scales. The most basic thing a musician could do. And then Dr. Dobson realized that's what made Yo-Yo Ma a master at the cello. He kept practicing the basics over and over again. So I thought, if Yo-Yo Ma could do that with a cello, imagine what we could do with the love that God has given to us. So, here we go. Here's the first passage. I bet you know this one. John three sixteen through 17. For God so loved the world that He gave His only Son, that whoever believes in Him should not perish, but have eternal life. For God did not send His Son into the world to condemn the world but in order that the world might be saved through him. Here we see the heart of God, that that the world might be saved through Jesus Christ. And so the first thing we learn about love is that love is demonstrative. Okay, It's demonstrated. It's shown. It should never just be assumed. You know, it's like the old old, uh, Norwegian joke about the married couple. I told you once. You know, and, and husbands, don't we get that reminder a lot? That we can't just assume that our wives know that we love them. It's really our job to continually demonstrate that over and over and over again. Like I told you once, wasn't that enough? (laughs) It's not, is it? And and that's the very essence of, of love is that it's shown. I mean, we are told that God is love, but he, he wasn't content just to be love. He wanted the world to know that love, to experience that love. So he demonstrated it by giving us a gift, and that's the gift of Christmas. God loved us so much that he gave us the best that he could give. 
You know, and that's really the definition of love. I think you've heard me say this before. Is that, is that love is when I desire God's best for you, no matter what it's going to cost me personally. Anything else is a cheap substitute. I, I cannot say I love you unless I truly mean that by, in this sense that, that I desire God's best for you, no matter what it's going to cost me personally. And I, I use that as the definition for love because that's exactly what God did. He gave us the very best. He didn't give a second best. You know? He didn't say, oh, well, you know, he'll be, they'll be happy with everything else, but no hockey, no, no table talk hockey game. No, he gave us exactly what we needed and exactly what we wanted, even when we didn't know that we wanted it. You can't top that gift. There's nothing better than Jesus Christ. We know that, right? And that's love. That's how it's demonstrated, is when you give the very best, no matter what it's going to cost you. And did it cost something for God to give His Son? Yes. So much. It cost Him everything in order to give us everything. I want you to think about that for a minute, because we're told to appreciate people. We're, we're, we're told that you know appreciation is determining the worth that, that a person has. And, and we don't have that capability ourselves because we'll misjudge. But God tells us how he appreciates people by telling us what a soul's worth. And in God's eyes, every single soul is worth his son, Jesus Christ. That teaches me how I ought to love. That I need to look at every single human being as a soul that's worth Jesus Christ. Second one is Romans 5.8. You might know this one too. In Romans 5.8 we're told, But God showed His love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And this one tells us this, love is not earned. Love is not earned. God did not wait for a single one of us to get our poop in a group so that he could say, okay, now you're worth it. Okay. While we were still sinners, while we were estranged from God, while we were as condemned as condemned could be, while we were as hell-bound as we could be, God loved us. He didn't wait for us to to, to get it right and start loving Him first. He loved us at our worst. And that again teaches me how I ought to love. That, That I shouldn't have to wait for people to somehow get their life together and deserve my love. But I should love them right where they're at right now, whether they earned it or not. I don't have that capacity by myself. I don't have a generator in me that will whip up that kind of love, that brand of love. Um, I only have the generic, cheap stuff. That breaks the first time you play with it. So again, that goes back to no real transformation happens apart from the Holy Spirit. 
The third verse is 1 John chapter 4. It's where we're told that God is love. Verses 18 through 19. It says, There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out all fear. For fear has to do with punishment, and whoever fears has not been perfected in love. And then verse 19. We love because He first loved us. We love... We have a capacity to love, I should say, because God first loved us. You talk about the gift that keeps on giving. It was the gift of love. I'm sure some of you have probably outlined. How many of you did get the easy bake oven? There's at least four. (laughs) Okay. So, yeah. And what's one of the first things you did with your easy bake oven? You baked something. And what did you do with the thing you baked? You gave it up to some other poor sucker to try. (laughs) Yeah, you bake stuff to give to other people. Yeah, the easy bake oven wasn't just like, okay, I'm going to make cake and now I'm going to eat all the cake. It's like, no, now I have the ability to give to other people. And and, and that's what the gift of love is that God gave to us. He gave us the ability to love other people. Had he not first loved us, we never would be transformed. We never, ever would step out of hate. We would always be on that default setting of despising and judging and condemning other people. I can think of a list of people right now that would be very easy for me to condemn. But God has given me an option. He's given me the capability to desire His best for them, no matter what it might cost me. The fourth passage is right on the heels of chapter 4 of 1 John. We left off with verse 19. We'll pick up verse 20 and 21. And this is the one that always kind of wrecks me. If anyone says, I love God and hates his brother, he is a liar. For he who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. And this commandment we have from him, whoever loves God must also love his brother. And it goes back to what's the greatest commandment? And, and Jesus pulled to James. He says, I'm greedy. I'm going to give you two. <laughs> he says, love God with all your being and then love your neighbor as yourself. And, and you see, that was tricky how he did that because those two can't be separated from one another. Because we're just told right here, you cannot love God and not love your brother. Okay, I cannot love God with my whole being unless I love my brother as myself. Nor can I love my neighbor as I ought to love my neighbor unless I am loving God with my whole being. You see how that just kind of comes full circle in there? And how desperately we need to be dependent on God to be able to do that? And Jesus says there's no other commandment that's greater than that. So it's pretty easy for us when we go to church, you know, right after church to, you know, give ourselves a grade on loving God. Yeah, how you doing on loving God? Oh, I'd say I got at least an A, you know. I really tried in that one worship song. <laughs> and I think that's what we all want, right? We all want to have an A plus when it comes to loving God 100%. Loving Him with all my being. 
And then if right on the heels we say, well, who's the person that you like the least? What grade would you give yourself for loving them? F. (laughs) Well, guess what? That's the grade you get for loving God. Yeah, you didn't want to hear that, did you? You did I. But that's the truth of it. That's what First John just told us. That, that the, the least I love somebody else is the most I love God. Truly. And I'm lying to myself if I can call myself this great lover unless I'm better at loving people. And that's what God gave to us there. That's why he gave us that gift. So right now I know what you're doing because I'm doing it too. I'm thinking about the person I love the least. And how am I valuing them? Do I see them as a soul worth Jesus Christ? Because God does. And as much as God wanted me to know his love, God wants that person to know his love just as much too. And I might be the conduit that God uses to communicate that love. Loving God requires loving others. There's no other way around that. So then we get to the last passage. John 13. Jesus said a lot about love in John 13. In John 13, verses 33 through 35, it says, Little children, yet a little while I am with you. You will seek me. And just as I said to the Jews, so now I also say to you, where I'm going, you cannot come. And that was a reference to the journey he was going to take from the cross to the empty tomb. And he says, a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another. Just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples, if you have love for one another. Hey, there you go. Jesus just gave us the logo, the motto, the, the trademark of Christianity. It's not how often we go to church or where we go to church or how much we put in the offering plate or, or, or how often we put it in the offering plate. It's not how much of the Bible we have memorized or not memorized or read or studied or that sort of thing or how we pray or who we pray for or the manner of our prayer. It's not those things that... Tell us we're Christians. It's, it's not our political stance. It's not the policies that we support or don't support. Because we're all over the map as Christians when it comes to that. But the one thing that, that, that is the one identifying trait for Christians is our love for one another. And Jesus just said that, that, that we, we should love one another in the same way that he loved us. You know, think about that. How has Jesus loved you? How has Jesus loved you? And do you show that love, reflect that love back to others? So the last point is this, we need to love just like Jesus loved. Now here's the kicker. John chapter 13, when Jesus gave this teaching, was right on the heels of him having just washed his disciples' feet. Now think about that for a minute, because back in those days, everybody walked around pretty much barefoot with a pair of sandals on. And the dust and dirt of Palestine is very fine. It gets, it gets in there. Okay? Just every little groove of your foot's caked with that stuff. 
and the exhaust of the major transportation systems was all solid. And it was right there in the road, along with open ditches of sewage and things like that. So you know that these people stepped in some not-so-nice stuff. I'm just going to take a stab and say Simon Peter probably more than anybody else. Okay. You know, he always spoke without thinking. He probably stepped without looking, too. Okay. And we've all done that. We've all stepped into something that we wish we hadn't stepped in. And there they are all, they're all sitting there reclined together eating, so uh, your neighbor's feet are pretty much in your face, okay? And Jesus gets up, and he, he wraps a towel around himself, and he grabs a basin of water and a pitcher, and he goes around to all of his disciples, and he starts doing the most menial task that anybody there should have been doing. And, and he seemed to be the last person who should have been doing, but he did it, and he started washing his disciples' feet, that gross stuff that was in there, Right? And he even said when he was all done with with washing their feet, uh, he says, go and do likewise. Just as I've done unto you, go and and do likewise. And and here's the thing we we, we often don't think about. He washed Judas' feet. Knowing full well that in a matter of maybe an hour or two, Judas was going to stab him in the back with a kiss. Jesus knew that was coming. And if Jesus loved the way I loved him, he probably would have skipped him when he got to him in the circle of foot washing. But he didn't. Even knowing full well that Judas was the the one who probably wouldn't find redemption in that bunch, he still loved him. Even in that moment when Judas came to lay that kiss on Jesus' cheek, the first word out of Jesus' mouth was, Friend, why are you here? I don't love like that. But yet, because God first loved us, He has given us the capacity to even love a Judas. So here's the thing about love. We already described it as a gift. God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son. It's also a fruit. We know that from Galatians. Uh, I want to read a portion of Galatians to you in our closing here. Because uh, that's where we're given the fruit of the Spirit. And there's this interesting structure that is that Paul uses as he presents to us. He gives us the contrast between the fruit of the flesh and the fruit of the Spirit, the Holy Spirit. And he starts off with the works of the flesh. He says they're evident, sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery. And then he gets into this list. It's pretty much all the same thing. Enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, and envy. And then he goes back to drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. Now, if I didn't know better, I would have thought he just described Congress to me. But the reality is is that he just described every single human being. And, and, and it isn't interesting that tucked away in this, this list of extremely gross sins that we would all go, oh, I'd never participate in that. We have enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, and envy. Which is our human capacity to hate and to despise 
and to depreciate, devalue another soul. He says, all these things I warn you, as I warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love. And and I think that when we read this, because we're Westerners, we think that that, that Paul's making a list. When when he says this, it's some kind of a pick-and-choose smorgasbord list that we can pursue. But no, he's saying this is it. The fruit of the Spirit is love. Just love. You go, well, what about the other eight? Aren't aren't, aren't there nine? He goes, no, there's just one, and, and, and the rest are manifestations of that. Joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. None of those things are possible without love. None of those things can be done unless we have the main ingredient, and, and that's, that's love. And then Jesus says, or Paul says, against such things there is no law, which is exactly what Jesus said. The fulfillment of the law is to love God and then to love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no harm to a neighbor. Love only gives what's best to that neighbor, no matter who that neighbor is. So this Christmas, when, we, when we're standing here and we're talking about the, the gift of Jesus Christ and, and celebrating and singing and all those other things, we have to ask ourselves, what really is coming out of me? Is it the flesh or is it the Holy Spirit? Because there's nothing about love in the flesh. It's only found in the Holy Spirit. And so that's why I say... Um, no true transformation happens apart from the Holy Spirit. So this is a time of year where we talk about we should be in the spirit of Christmas. Well, let's do that. Just imagine what common ground would be like if we all loved the way that God loved us. And that's going to require us to be completely and fully dependent upon God because, you know, we don't have the capacity unless he gives it to us. Unless we yield to the Holy Spirit and say, man, that's a crop that needs to grow out of this. That's, that's a fruit that needs to be developed in this, this soil here. So let's be good soil and say, God, let's plant your seed in there and let it grow in me. And then go even further, what, what would this area of Rapid City be like if... Everybody here loved the way God loved. What would happen to our city? I think transformation. And and what if it just kept going and kept going? The kingdom of God is the manifestation of love. And God said he's going to build his kingdom. It's going to grow just like a little mustard seed. It's going to grow into something huge. And we have a great opportunity to be a part of that. And not only should we do well at loving one another here, people shouldn't just come in here and go, well, I felt loved, and then leave. What if we did well at loving everywhere we went, with everybody we met? I think... Some of the prayer requests we had today would be answered in that. Isn't it interesting that that's how God answers our prayers sometimes? It's through our willingness to be obedient to Him. 
I truly, truly believe that the better we are at loving the way God loved us, the more powerful the gospel becomes. And the more souls come to know the gift of Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Lord, we ask you for this today. We can't ask for more love from you because you've already given it all in one big package. But what we do ask, Lord, is more ability to love others the way that you have loved us. We pray, God, that you would bring us back to playing the scales constantly every single day in our life. And that it wouldn't be about, as Christians, it would never be about some kind of performance that we put on. But it would just be about the basic thing of loving you and loving others. And God, we cannot either love you or love others sufficiently unless we first receive your love. So my prayer is this, if anybody has not yet received the gift of love, through faith in Jesus Christ, that today they'd unwrap that gift. And it's just a simple thing of saying, God, yes, yes, I'll take your gift. Yes, I'll give up trying to do it on my own. Yes, God, I'll let you love me. It begins there. So, Lord, I pray that you would open up hearts to faith in Jesus Christ. Because that's what we need in order to change this world. And Lord, may we go forth from this place, not just one season out of the year or one day out of the season, but every single day, God, every single day, may your Holy Spirit transform us to bear the fruit of love. We pray this for Jesus' glory. We pray it for Jesus' kingdom. We pray it for Jesus' sake. And we pray it in Jesus' name. Lord, it's one thing to pray in your name. Now may we go forth in love in your name as well. Amen. Thank you for listening. We hope you have been blessed. Please join us again at Common Ground Church.